Well, good morning again. Welcome to the last Sunday in Epiphany. And in this morning, we're going to see how the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Peter in a very special way. And we're doing that for a vital reason. Because it is important for every person here this morning to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to engage your intellect so that you can understand with your mind a little of his divine majesty. He wants to feed your soul so that inside you will experience the deep love of the Father and the Son for you. And he longs to teach you how to respond rightly to him so that your life and my life might be set on a proper course of obedience and honor to God. Well, let me invite you then to take out this green handout. Now, um, I put all the verses in this thing this morning uh, because uh, we're going to have to hurry to catch up with Jesus today. All right? We have been walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew in these last few weeks, and Jesus is about to wrap up his ministry in Galilee, and very shortly, Jesus will be heading for Jerusalem and Good Friday and the cross. And in the midst of all this activity, Jesus appears to Peter. In fact, he appears to him several times in a very special way. Okay, then. What has Jesus been doing throughout this busy Galilean ministry? Well, he has been focusing on the message about himself. He's been focusing on who is Jesus of Nazareth and why has Jesus of Nazareth come out? He has been healing hundreds, perhaps even thousands of men and women. And twice that we know of, and maybe even more often than that, he has fed thousands from a tiny little basket full of food. And he has preached. Oh, Lordy, how he has preached. And he has preached in a way that nobody has ever heard before. And you know what? All this has created a great big stir. People have gathered to him from all over Israel. If you look at Matthew 16, 1 there, it says that even the religious leaders have come all the way from Jerusalem. That's a three days journey, by the way, on foot. They've come all the way from Jerusalem to inquire about this phenomena that they call the Nazarene. Well, in the midst of all this fuss, and uproar, a report about Jesus has reached out to everybody in Israel, from the lowliest little beggar, even up to the governor himself. Now Jesus' disciples, we're talking about the twelve, now Jesus' disciples have been there and they've seen all this activity. They've watched everything that has gone on. All the marvelous miracles, the healings, the teaching, but it's as if they hadn't quite connected with it all. They didn't quite get who is Jesus and 
what is Jesus really about? In fact, one day when Jesus is trying to explain about what genuine faith looks like, he told his disciples a parable about hypocrisy. And he said that hypocrisy was like leaven or like mold and that it spreads everywhere. But the disciples were so busy worrying about the fact that they hadn't brought lunch with them, they couldn't even listen. They didn't even get the point. And you can hear the frustration in Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 9 there. Fellas, don't you get it? You're with the king of the universe. You're not about to go hungry. I can turn stone to bread if need be. Well, you see, here was the problem. If Jesus were to go ahead and go on to Jerusalem and to die, while the disciples still didn't understand his identity, then the message of salvation through the blood of Christ wouldn't have spread very far. His disciples would have scattered everywhere, believing that Jesus' death really meant nothing at all, and Jesus was just another man, and his death was just another act of injustice. Therefore, it was absolutely vital that the disciples get it. But you see, Jesus' little band of students, well, they were exceptionally dull. Now, how many people here are teachers this morning? You ever taught a Sunday school class or been a coach or anything like that, right? And you know that there comes that time in the semester when you are longing and you are praying that the students are going to pass the test. You're just praying they're going to get by the final exam. And that's what you have there in Matthew 16, 13. Jesus was about to give the final exam. This was the last chance for the disciples to get it right about who Jesus was. So for the final exam, Jesus took them all the way up to the far north of Israel to a location that was known, well, actually the location was famous, really, as a place of religious revelation. He takes them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he says to them, essentially, he says, okay, guys, we have been together for months now. And you have seen and you have heard everything. So I'm going to start this exam really easy, okay? Here's the first question. Who do people say that I am? And then comes the big test. Yes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is the very first to respond. Perhaps he was answering on behalf of all of them, but he was surely speaking for himself. He said, yes, I got it, Lord. You are the Christ. You are the long-awaited Messiah. You are Israel's hope. You are the light of the Gentiles that the Old Testament talks about. I think, Lord, you are even connected to God himself. <laughs> Can you imagine the smile on Jesus' face? Yes, yes, yes! Peter, well done. 
And Jesus says, upon this good confession, upon this declaration of faith, and upon this sure commitment, which only God can give you, Peter, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. But here's the funny thing. The big test is immediately followed by a great big surprise. Look at the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, Matthew 16, 20. That's good. That's really good. At the very moment that Peter comes to the understanding that Jesus is the Christ, he is told that the Christ must go to Jerusalem and die. Poor Peter. For months he's been trying to work this thing out. In his mind he's been thinking about who could this Jesus possibly be, and then all of a sudden Jesus throws him another curveball. There was nothing at all in Judaism that would prepare him for this moment. Surely you don't mean it, Lord. The Christ is a great king. He will come as a conquering hero. Surely we must be going to Jerusalem to a great triumph. Lord, you are just, get that, Lord, you are just wrong. And then, as if to add insult to injury, Jesus piles on one more surprise. Not only must the Christ suffer and die, but Matthew 16, 24, anyone who would follow Christ, they too must die. Well, let me invite you to put yourself in Peter's shoes here. Because what he was thinking must have made perfect sense. Let's face it. Nobody important dies. Certainly the most important thing that they do isn't dying. Powerful people, what do they do? They make great fortunes. They become famous. They make great discoveries. They win big battles. And the, their dying is really only sort of a sad end to their story. The Christ can't come and die. Well, at least not until he's, after, he's conquered the whole world or something. No, Peter, says Jesus, I have not made a mistake. And in the week ahead, Peter, I want you to watch and I want you to learn because I'm going to reveal to you the Son of Man in His glory. Well, in our Gospel text this morning, Matthew 17, we see how Jesus invites Peter into a privileged mountaintop experience. This experience we call the Transfiguration. And there, Peter is given a first-hand look at Jesus' divine nature. 
the greatest men of the Old Testament come to Jesus to take counsel from him. He, Jesus, is God's beloved son, and it is upon Jesus that the Father's favor, favor and pleasure and joy rest. And you know what? Peter got to see that with his own eyes and hear it with his own ears. But like all mountaintop experiences, this one had to come to an end because mountaintop experiences are never about themselves. The purpose of a mountaintop experience is to strengthen us to go live in the valley down below where we live every day. So back down the mountain they go. And as they go, Jesus reveals himself to Peter in yet another way, and he gives to Peter, if you will, the inside track, an insider's knowledge of how God plans to redeem the world. This very same divine son who Peter just saw up there in the mountain must die in order to redeem mankind. And then he will be raised in glory. Poor Peter. His head must have just been swimming from all these revelations. After months of pondering, God had finally revealed it to Peter that Jesus was the Old Testament Christ. Yet, this Christ was supposed to die. Peter had the privilege of being up on the mountaintop. But he was told that he too must follow his master to death. And yet, all the external indications seemed to be that very shortly Jesus was about to depart and go to Jerusalem and the very throne of Israel would be his. Who knows, maybe even world conquest would follow that. Well, what happens next in Matthew's gospel might seem like a circus sideshow. But let me invite you to think a little deeper about it. Now, recognize that Peter had become the undoubted leader of the disciples. He was the first to pass the test at Caesarea Philippi. Do you remember? He was the first guy to get out of the boat and join Jesus. He and two others only had been invited to go up on the mountain but this Jesus, man, he was like this moving target. Every day, Jesus would say or do something else that would seem to be purely incomprehensible. Was Jesus really the person that Peter thought he was? Did, in fact, Peter actually and really see what he thought he saw up on top of the mountain, or was it just all a dream? And in his wisdom and his kindness, the Lord knew and understood Peter's doubts. And so the Lord arranges a little revelation just for Peter. Look at Matthew 17, 24. A little revelation just for Peter. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax 
went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? Of course, Peter, he's always shooting his mouth off. He said, Yes! And when he came into the house, note this, Jesus spoke first to him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This little incident deals with all the concrete things that Peter knows so well. The things that Peter's based his whole life upon. A boat, fishing tackle, fish. And it is through these things that Jesus once again proves to Peter his supernatural wisdom and control over all events. Peter was sent out to find a fish which every fisherman here knows can be a minor miracle on some days. But not only that, a fish, the very first one he catches, will have a coin in his mouth. And interestingly, a note that that coin is worth the exact debt that he is supposed to pay. But lest you imagine that this is some kind of coincidence, the coin that the fish has in his mouth is a foreign one. The RSV calls this a shekel, but in fact, the Greek language says it is a stator, which is a foreign coin probably minted in Corinth. It was worth four drachmas. Was Peter's experience on the mountaintop real? Well, here was living proof, and it smelled like fresh fish. <laughs> Keep the faith, Peter. Well, what follows in Matthew 18, then, are instructions to the church about what to do and how to respond to God when God gives you a special inside look. God gives you special revelation. Well, Matthew 18.1 there tells us that immediately the disciples, that's probably including Peter, I believe, started playing spiritual one-upsmanship. That is not how to respond. Who will be the greatest in the days of head, ahead? Well, James and John, of course, they say, hey, we were with Jesus up on the mountaintop, so where were the rest of you guys? And Peter responds, really? Let me tell you about a fish. That is not how to respond. Rather, Jesus instructs all the disciples about the value of every person in God's flock. And then he speaks about the power of unity, and then he drives home the necessity of forgiveness. And having done all that, now Jesus is ready to begin the journey to Jerusalem. 
Well, we've covered a lot of text here this morning, and these are great stories. They're fun in just the retelling of them. But what might they mean for us and for our life together at Holy Cross? Well, in a couple of weeks' time, God is offering us a mountaintop experience right here at the cathedral. We are hosting a prayer conference for the ACNA, and folks literally from all over the country are going to come here to be a part of that. And we are looking for the Holy Spirit of God to move among us in a very powerful way, perhaps in a way that you have never experienced before personally in your life. And even if you can't make the whole conference, I would really encourage you to be with us here on Friday evening for our service of prayer and healing. You don't even need to register for the conference for that. Just come. It's free and it's open to the public. Occasionally, you see, in our lives, God blesses us with an invitation to a special mountaintop experience. And these can be unforgettable milestones in our Christian walk. That was the case for Peter. In his second letter, written more than 30 years after the Transfiguration event, Peter recalled with clarity that experience on the holy mountain. Mountaintop experiences can be unforgettable milestones in our spiritual journey. But you and I can fail the test in these big mountaintop experiences. How can we do that? Well, first of all, it is possible that we might miss out entirely on this encounter and invitation from God. We might be afraid just to show up. (laughs) What would have happened if Peter had said, hey, great, Lord, I really appreciate the invite, but you know what? I hear there's some scary stuff up there. I just don't think I'll go. Sometimes we can miss out on the mountaintop experience by being inattentive. (laughs) Peter almost did that. Remember, he was so busy talking about building tents and worrying about everybody being comfortable, that he almost missed what God was saying. This is my beloved son. Listen to him and shut up. We can miss out on mountaintop experiences sometimes by just sticking with the crowd. You know, Peter could have stayed with the others down below. Look, Lord... I am already a marked man among these 12. They're starting to think that I am way too serious about this discipleship thing. I think they're thinking about me as a fanatic. Now, I may miss out on something good up there, but, you know, I don't want to stick out from the crowd. So I'm staying here. It is possible that we can miss the encounter that God has for us. Sometimes we can 
fail the test by misunderstanding God's purposes for our mountaintop experience. God is not P.T. Barnum. He is not interested in a lot of noise and showmanship. God's purpose for an encounter with you is to bring you healing and wholeness and for us to gain new and fresh assurance of faith. And of course, we can fail the test by misusing the mountaintop experience afterwards. God gave Peter the mountaintop not so he could beat on his chest and say, I'm the really superior spiritual guy around here. God wants us to profit from mountaintop experiences in a deep and personal way. When we individually experience the special things that God has for us, what happens? Well, then there is new power in the whole community, particularly new power in prayer. We can be prepared to do God's work in new and amazing ways, but most of all, and most important of all, we enter into new and deeper love for our brothers and sisters. May God make it so. Amen.